Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. One good thing about going on holiday for a few weeks is being able to go to the movies for fun. I don't have to worry about what I think of them. I just go, happy in the knowledge that any assessment of their importance, relevance and ingenuity can be placed in someone else's hands this time. In this case, may I express my gratitude to Dan Slevin for his usual aplomb and insight over the past few weeks. In that moment... Elvis the man was sacrificed, and Elvis the god was born. I'm going to show you what the real Elvis is like tonight! So I could go and see Baz Luhrmann's Elvis without dwelling on whether it mattered how much of it was true or not. Equally, I avoided antagonising both Marvel Comics obsessives and Taika Waititi fans by expressing any opinion about Thor, Love and Thunder. And after all that million... He reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? Not my concern this month. Similarly, I can keep what I felt about Fina, Phantom of the Open and Where the Crawdads Sing to Myself. What a relief. But I don't mind putting in a good word for a couple of smaller films that might have been overlooked. He spent his life following through on the commitments he took upon himself to revive the navigational skills of our people. Part of the appeal of both New Zealand's Fetu Marama Bright Star, how Sir Heck Busby helped revive the art of Polynesian star navigation, and Ireland's two-hanky job, The Quiet Girl, was I wasn't expecting quite how good they were. Another part was how bilingual they were. How long should they keep her? Till after the baby? <laughs> she can't take keep her as long as they like. What is the Quiet Girl was mostly in Irish Gaelic, while Bright Star happily went from English to Tereo and back all the way through. Whatever my opinion, many of these movies are still hogging the cinema screens this week. The only new title at my local was a little documentary about gardens. So, as always, when the cinemas let me down, I turned to the streaming services and was quite surprised at what Amazon Prime had to offer. Along with the usual B-movie potboilers were two films from decidedly A-list veterans. Wait, wait, you speak English? I fix bum, but water come fast. Bloody hell. We'll have to dive now. 
Ron Howard's 13 Lives is a dramatisation of the much-filmed Thai cave rescue of 2018. And while you may wonder why he chose to remake it, you can't deny he's the right man for the job. Also on Amazon, there's a dark thriller from producer Martin Scorsese and writer-director Paul Schrader, The Card Counter. There is a weight a man can accrue. This is where all the good stuff happens. The weight created by his past actions. It is a weight which can never be removed. I'm surprised that neither of these films got a cinema release, but I'm delighted they came out, sorry, dropped, at the very time I needed them. But first, this week's official release, The Gardener. There's a wonderful saying that the senses are the gateway to the soul. Now, if you're going to nitpick, it's hard to claim new release status for the film The Gardener, the story of superstar garden designer Frank Cabot and his Quebec showcase Catravant. The film was released in Canada back in 2016, I think, though it drew heavily on the interview Cabot gave shortly before his death in 2011. I'm never happier if I think that someone's soul has been touched by their experience here at Still, the audience I saw the film with, all keen gardeners right down to their green thumbs, were in no mood to be nitpicking. You got the impression this might have been the only film many of them had seen this century. It's made it a little bit eccentric, which he was an eccentric, and a genius, or nearly a genius. But even non-gardeners couldn't fail to be blown away by Catravant, if you'll excuse the windy pun. Frank tells his own story, illustrating it with glimpses of his stunning garden. An assortment of nooks, hedges, bridges, towers, follies, streams, and above all, colour. Some of these colours don't have a name yet. When you first come to this garden, you are absolutely knocked out. Frank Cabot came from old money. His parents bought the original property 70 years or so ago. But it wasn't until Frank suffered what the film tactfully refers to as business reverses that he decided to put all his resources, spiritual as well as financial, into creating the greatest garden in Canada. And in a sense, gardens really are not just physical and natural, they're metaphysical. And that's essentially the entire story of the gardener. He set out to do it, and here's the result. The interview that Frank gave is as good an insight into the soul of a gardener as you're likely to get. And it is a way to connect at a different level than one normally does. Where non-gardeners, or people reluctantly roped in to assist gardeners, can only see the chores, weeding, clipping, mowing and endless trips to the dump, people like Frank and his fans simply see creation. It's garden theatre at its best. (laughs) 
I've seen gardens all over the world, but what I think is special about this is it's one man's vision. It's one soul. Among the fans are actress Angela Lansbury, celebrity English gardener Penelope Hobhouse, the former Governor-General of Canada, Adrian Clarkson, and various members of the Cabot family, including the current incumbent at Catravant, Frank's son, Clive. People who come to visit in those large groups, by the time they've finished, their lives have been changed. You're never at the end of anything in Frank's garden. Gardens are not generally things to talk about. They're places to be, places to walk around in, places to change as the mood strikes you. But despite the challenge, everyone in the gardener has a crack at trying to describe what gardening is, what this garden's aim is, and why Frank Cabot was so special that the film is named after what he did with it. At times, you seem to be drowning in adjectives. They're at times transcendent, they're incorporeal. They just have an extra numinous spirit there if they've been successful and you sense that. But that's not really important. I spent the entire film, as it were, on holiday. A holiday for the senses. Frank's particularly good at describing smells and textures, but then suddenly you're bowled over by yellow, magenta, blue, gold, coral and all the rest. When the film finished, my companions were eagerly chatting among themselves with all the enthusiasm of someone who can't wait to get back to their own gardens. I'd like to see the results. Say for this place, the site tells you what to do if you listen. And the important thing is to listen. When the documentary The Rescue came out last November, it was hard to see how it could be improved on. It was a story that, in many ways, was so impossibly perfect that all that was needed was to tell it. The 12 Thai schoolboys and their coach stranded in an inaccessible cave while the world held its breath and expected the worst. Hey, Rick. You're following what's happening in Thailand. Some kids stuck in a cave. So who would want to go through that claustrophobic exercise again, particularly dramatised by that ultimate Hollywood filmmaker, Ron Howard? Well, possibly this is why Howard's 13 Lives ended up on Amazon Prime rather than in cinemas. That and the fact that this version is now a gruelling two and a half hours long. We're on the list of rescue divers. It's just a tourist cave. It looks easy, but when it's flooded, it's impassable. But Ron Howard's intention is slightly different from that of the documentary. Where the rescue was told almost entirely from the point of view of the British cave divers who did the actual hands-on rescuing, 13 Lives is as much about the thousands of other people involved. Howard's clearly anxious that this not be seen as a white saviour story. It takes a certain kind of mindset for the deep cave diving. You have to be a bit nuts. They're very, very dangerous. High water level and a low visibility. Barely shoulder wide. Pulling against very strong currents. Don't 
That said, there are some strange decisions taken, particularly in the casting department. Of the four featured English rescuers, only one is played by an English actor, Tom Bateman. Rick Stanton and John Valanthan are played by, respectively, American Viggo Mortensen and Irishman Colin Farrell. Are there no actors in England? Let's have a look. Still, apart from Vigo's occasional accidental tribute to Dick Van Dyke, they both captured the deadpan bravery of the pair, and more important, the two actors also reportedly did many of their own stunts. 13 Lives underwater work is particularly convincing. Shit! That's it, we better head back. But this isn't just their story. In fact, the first 20 minutes are spent seeing precisely how the young soccer team and their coach got themselves into such trouble. The rains came early and transformed a popular tourist adventure into a nightmare. They were trapped two and a half kilometres inside a very wet mountain. Last seen nine days ago, 12 boys and their coach are trapped in the flooded cave. When cave diving experts Rick and John are finally flown in, it becomes clear there's no guarantee any of the kids are alive. But when they are located, there's still no way to get them out, and the water is now flooding through sinkholes all over the mountain. Hello? Hey, they're here. How many of you? Thirteen. Thirteen? They're all alive. Uh, Can we go out now? Now, some of this stuff was covered by the documentary, but by no means all. Not explained was how the Thai engineers diverted the water, how the local farmers sacrificed a crop to save the boys, and how much of the decision-making was left to a discredited governor who didn't seem up to the job. The man's already died. We do nothing. We'll be bringing him out dead for sure. So you are expecting casualties? Yes. In other words, Ron Howard set out to tell the whole story, not just the convenient Mission Impossible bits. And he told it the old-fashioned Hollywood way, by not just settling for the action and suspense, but looking for the drama and character. You're talking about a five-hour dive. You try and dive those kids the whole way, all you'd be bringing out is dead bodies. Now, obviously, in a story as recent as this, where all or most of the people involved are still alive, you can't tamper with the facts to make a good story. But since the story is so good anyway, it's got a ticking clock, it's got gutsy kids, it's got parents demanding answers from politicians, you only need to tweak it a little. John, as played by Colin Farrell, is now the optimist heading for a crisis of confidence. John, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Just give me a minute. Okay, we can make it. 
Frank Viggo Mortensen is certain there's no way to get the kids out, which is why he's so keen to lower expectations. And latecomer Harry Harris, an Australian played by Joel Edgerton with one of the few authentic accents in the film, is the one who has to pull off the miracle at the end. With oxygen running low, the entire nation is anxiously waiting for what will happen next. What are you thinking? Just a crazy idea. We've got a skill none of the rest of us have. No. It's insane. It's unethical. It's illegal. Like the event itself, 13 Lives is astonishingly successful. It shouldn't work as well as it does, but like the 12 boys and their coach, it's in the safest of hands. Ron Howard is old-school Hollywood in the very best sense, and he makes sure this thriller delivers whether you think you know the story or not. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's on behalf of our coach, we are stay strong. He teach us to uh, meditate. And uh, we pray. You pray? Uh, yes, I yes. bet you do. All right. On the other side of the country from Hollywood is the hard scrabble east coast of producer director Martin Scorsese and his frequent collaborator, writer Paul Schrader. Schrader specialises in dark, gritty stories of men searching for redemption in films like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Taking Out the Dead, and now The Card Counter, also out on Amazon. You should read some books. I'm going to buy you one. I've read books. What is it with her? Name one. One what? Book. Oh, Poker for Dummies. I believe you may have read it. <laughs> I like him. It seems that films like The Card Counter aren't being put in cinemas these days, though it was released in the States last year, where it performed poorly. But it's rather better than that bald statement suggests, particularly for people nostalgic for those 70s classics that Schrader, who directs here, cut his teeth on. How much cards do you play? 40 hands an hour, 8 to 12 hours a day, 6 to 7 days a week. Do you do anything else? Like what? The title character, who goes by William Tell, is played by Oscar Isaac. Isaac is one of those actors whose talent you'd think would guarantee movie stardom, except he doesn't seem particularly interested in that. Bill Tell is a professional card player, a player with an edge. He learnt to count cards in the joint. Having been sentenced to 10 years in prison, I learned to count cards. As you do that. Card counting is illegal in casinos, though the owners will tolerate the practice so long as the player doesn't win too big. Staying under the radar is Bill's specialty. But then he's headhunted. Twice. First time by Lalinda, a cool performance by Tiffany Haddish, better known as a comedian. She sees something in Bill that spells money. All in. You count cards, right? I'm not that smart. But you win. You need someone to stake you. That's what you do. You run a stable. I'm always looking for a good thoroughbred. (laughs) And the second time, he's spotted going to a sales pitch given by a shady military consultant called Gordo, Willem Dafoe at his most slippery. Bill's picked out by a kid as someone with a personal grudge against Gordo, one that he shares. Poker's all about waiting. 
Check. Raise. Re-raise. Call. Then something happens. You remember it? This is where all the good stuff happens. Ty Sheridan is another of those actors, like Oscar Isaac, I suppose, whose face rings a bell but you can't quite place it. He was in Mud and Ready Player One, as well as a guilty pleasure of mine called Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. He's also pretty good in this. This is how it starts. Just a fleeting thought. You might want a piece of what I'm going to do. Then it builds. What is that? Set things straight. The kid wants revenge, and he can see Bill has history with Gordo, tied in with his time in jail. But in a Paul Schrader script, simple revenge is not enough. Bill Tell blames himself as much as anyone else for what happened all those years before. It doesn't matter to me if you did something bad in your past. Nothing. Nothing can justify what we did as him. Unusually, there's an easy lovability about the three players. At times it felt more like an Elmore Leonard romp than Schrader's usual intense melodrama. But only at times. We are each responsible for our own actions. You know the phrase tilt, just like a pinball. Any man can tilt. You can tilt. Is it possible to know when one reaches the limit? However, the card counter has more on its mind than just following a trio of grifters. The kid is wrestling with the sins of his father, La Linda's chasing the American dream, while Bill has been let down by everyone, up to and including his government. You have to be the strangest poker player I have met. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah. It's tough, it's character-driven, it's very 70s. You can see why it appealed to veteran producer Scorsese. And you can also see why it was a hard sell in the age of comic book right and wrong. They made you the fall guy. You need to back off. You've been around him. He's a mystery. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. 20 years ago, it might have been a little classic starring Nicholson or Pacino or James Kahn. Today, it's a well-made hark back to another place and another time, and made by an ageing old master. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's the last thing. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.